Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we must follow up on something big we discussed last week because I can now give you a spoiler-free review of The Return of the Jedi. No, not that one. I'm Jeff Braun. I started watching the Equalizer movies in preparation for the third installment next week, and I rewatched a 90s semi-classic. Plus... I was off work last week, so I watched a whole bunch of movies. Some old, some new, all great. But we must begin with the release of the television show that many are hoping will finally be the big home run critical and commercial success for the Star Wars galaxy. It's Ahsoka. Let's begin. Who is this Jedi? Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano. Two-episode premiere streaming Tuesday. All right. So this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out because some of you might have only ever watched the Star Wars movies, and that's it. You've never watched any of the Disney Plus shows. You haven't watched any of the cartoons, but you might be curious about this one because there's a lot of hype. And then there will be those who know Ahsoka, at the very least, from the live-action appearances in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. And then there will be those, like me, who know who Ahsoka Tano is from the cartoons, The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. And how will this show sit with all of those people? Now, Jeff Braun, you have not seen The Clone Wars or... The Rebels. Correct. But I did see her in the other Disney Plus shows. Okay. But you did not have the opportunity to watch Ahsoka this week. No. They uh, just, the timing just didn't work out. They, I thought it was going to be uh, released at midnight kind of thing. They did it at like Tuesday at nine in the evening. And I was just like, well, that doesn't work for me. I woke up early Tuesday to watch it and it wasn't there. So okay. I tried. But by next time, next week, I'll maybe pop in with 90 seconds on what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Because we're, we usually record this show on Thursdays. We're recording on Wednesdays or on Wednesday this week, and they actually released, it was supposed to be released on Wednesday, August 23rd, but they changed that. They may have even announced that change last Thursday after we already recorded our show. But anyway, they, they announced that they were going <laughs> to be releasing it on Tuesday evening. So I did get the opportunity to watch both of these shows. So just to kind of recap, Ahsoka Tano is a former Jedi. She was the Padawan apprentice of Anakin Skywalker and they went their separate ways but she was a huge part of the Clone Wars show and then when Star Wars Rebels came along and introduced us to a new group of characters this ragtag group of rebels who were just sort of doing their own little jobs to take on the Empire but they weren't part of the bigger picture they were part of like I think a rebel cell but they eventually joined like full-blown joined the rebellion and eventually met up with Ahsoka Tano. So she ended up being a huge part of that show as well. So this series, even though it's called Ahsoka, is, for all intents and purposes, a live-action continuation of Star Wars Rebels. So let me just play... There's a 90-second featurette they released a couple of days ago that does a nice little summary and kind of introduces you at least to the, to the characters and some of the actors. On our show, the story goes in places you can't imagine with new characters you've never seen in live action before. Rosario brings people together. She's a perfect leader of the show. 
And in this story, Ahsoka hears whispers of the Empire returning, and she decides to enlist Hera's help. We have to prepare for the worst. Harrison Dula is the leader of the Ghost Crew. She's a pilot. Hera is such an incredible leader and fighter. Mary is just great. I mean, every scene she's in was just awesome. You and I both know who could help you with this. God, that is Sabine. Natasha's so perfect for the character. Sabine's already a warrior and very proven, and she's Ahsoka's former apprentice. You never made things easy for me, master. I love Sabine. She struggles with her emotions. She's impulsive. I think she's just relatable. She's got good intentions, but she doesn't always make the right decision. I love the complexity of the characters in this. They're a bit unpredictable. They're all struggling with a set of circumstances, and they need each other. Buckle up. This is so powerful. This is provocative, exciting, and fun. I can't wait for people to watch it. We have a lot of work to do. Once a rebel, always a rebel. So I've got no spoilers. I'm not going to spoil anything that is in this show, uh, but I do want to touch on a couple of things. I, I'm not going to go into super detail on who all these characters are because it would take too long. Uh, and I, I will tell you that I'm seeing mixed feedback on from people who have not seen the cartoons. Some are saying, yeah, I felt like it was fine. I didn't need to know them. And others say, I still enjoyed it, but I think I need to know a little bit more about these characters. So I'll be curious to see what you say next week, Jeff, if you do get to watch them, because they did spend a lot of time in these first two episodes doing their best to introduce these characters to a new audience, but also just kind of in, like integrate them in a way where it's not irritating for those who do know who they are. But I was thrilled to see them in live action. Harrison Dula, for like, even though Ahsoka Tano was one of the best characters, I am shocked at how much I enjoyed Star Wars Rebels. I sort of blew it off as like, oh, that looks like it's something for kids. And I'm sure kids enjoy it just fine, but I loved it. And Harrison Dula, one of the big reasons for that, and in the, the live show, she's played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And another reason why Star Wars Rebels is so good is once again, Star Wars... For all the things they get wrong, Jeff Braun, it was safe to say the droids are always excellent. Yep, absolutely. Like, what's the worst one? C-3PO maybe, even? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's tough. They're always, yeah. Even when, like, the Solo, the Han Solo movie, uh, that had a great uh, droid in it. Even some of these that other was shows. Waller-Bridge, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, there was a good droid in the first season of Mando, right, that... Paid the ultimate sacrifice, I believe. Oh, yeah, the one uh, voiced by Taika Waititi. Yeah, so, yeah, they always have good droids. Yeah, so in Rebels, they have this cantankerous, semi-malfunctioning astro-droid, so he's in the same family as R2-D2. I can't remember what part is missing, but he is sent, he's got an attitude problem. <laughs> but he is hilarious, and they, they managed to do, bring him to live action perfectly. Here's a just a clip of him beacon off at Hera. No, I did not go through your stuff. Did you look under the backup battery? <laughs> They're trying to track down their enemies. Like, did you go through my stuff? Uh, so, yeah, I just, uh, you'll, it's way better, obviously, to see it, but it's a lot of fun. So, as for the show, 
again, I come from the perspective that I have seen the Clone Wars and I have seen Star Wars Rebels. I very much enjoyed these first two episodes. I'm going to suggest that you won't have to have watched those cartoons because it's just too daunting for a lot of people. It's like there's so many over 100 episodes for the Clone Wars. Rebels has I think over 60 if I'm if I, I can't remember exactly, but it's a lot. So it's a lot of cartoons to get through. Uh, so I know I have friends who were ready to watch this, even though they haven't seen the cartoon, got to find out what they thought of it. But I thought it was great. It's got some really cool lightsaber lightsaber fights. Ahsoka always carries two lightsabers, so she looks fantastic. Rosario Dawson in the role. She's great. She has such a, a soulful face. And one of the things that I liked about the show is, and they reference it in the beginning there, is that none of these characters are perfect. They all have flaws. They, they, they might be stubborn or they might make bad decisions or they're still hampered by fear. So it, that was nice to see that because a lot of times our heroes lately are like perfect right from the start and that's boring. So yeah, it's a cool show. And it also, uh, one of the bad guys is the late uh, Ray Stevenson who's doing some pretty excellent work so far. So I loved Ahsoka. Curious to know what you think about it next next week, Jeff. Yep. And just in case you didn't know, Jeff, there is another show that should be on your radar this week. Ragnarok! Yes, our favorite uh, Norwegian uh, superhero meets 90210 type show. It's a high school dramedy of superheroes more of drama than comedy i suppose yeah oh uh, yeah it's it's a good show it's a fun show it's all in norwegian with subtitles and stuff but it's a basically a, just a show about a high school kid who discovers that he actually is thor and uh he has to come to terms with it yeah the reincarnation of thor the norse god of thunder and this looks like it's going to be the final season from what i understand uh, yeah, third and final season, yeah, good. and it releases on Thursday, nice. August 24th. So uh, we were so surprised, I think, by the first two seasons. Yeah, and uh, if memory serves, there are, what, eight episodes, tops, maybe even six? Six. six. And both those seasons take place over, what, what, like three weeks or something like that combined? Yeah. So it's a very kind of, it's not a grand scale thing. Like, don't think Avengers, people. Think more Dawson's Creek, but with some superhero stuff mixed yeah. in. Yeah, so it's really cool. So that's on Netflix starting Thursday, August 24th. Up next, we got to tell you about some of the movies we've been watching this week, including Jeff Braun getting some Denzel justice. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and next weekend, a third movie in Denzel Washington's The Equalizer series will hit theaters, and it occurred to me I hadn't seen the other two, so I watched the first one this past week. Hey, we betting on what you did before you got here. I'm saying insurance. I was a pip. You know, like Gladys Knight in the pips. I... Open the register right now. Give me that ring. Please. It's okay, Jenny. There comes a point where you have to help people. It's too late to start. Oh. Who can't help themselves. I promise I would never go back to being that person. But today, I make an exception. 
The Equalizer came out in 2014. It made nearly $200 million, which for a run-of-the-mill action thriller starring a dude nearly 60 years old at the time was pretty impressive. I was actually surprised by that when I looked it up. It's at 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, which for a movie like this is also about right. And of course, it's based on a TV show from the 80s, which is a TV show again now starring Queen Latifah, which you can watch on Global. Season 4 will be coming up at some point. Now, if you've not seen any of the shows or movies, what's it about? Denzel plays Robert McCall, an ordinary Joe who works at a Home Depot-type place and is popular with his colleagues. He has a can-do spirit. He helps people who need it. And as it turns out, if they need some help when it comes to vigilante justice, he's up for that too. Apparently, he used to be some kind of an intelligence agent in another life, and he still has his skills, especially when it comes to killing a room full of bad guys while barely breaking a sweat. Of course, no one at Home Depot knows this, as that part of his life is long gone. Until it comes back, thanks to Chloe Grace Moretz, she plays a sex worker who's a casual acquaintance of his because they both hang out at the same diner in the evenings. She gets hospitalized by the Russian mob and boom, it's on. He spends the next two hours aggressively pursuing them on his off hours from work and indeed proves to be a one-man wrecking crew. It's really violent, kind of right to the limit of the kind of violence we expect from a movie like this. If it were any more violent, we'd actually kind of be in horror movie territory. And the thing he does with a corkscrew is probably a step too far. It didn't help I was trying to eat supper at the time, but that was kind of gross. Uh, the movie just kind of goes along, though, with us getting a few more clues to his past, although we never get the full picture, as he takes out the bad guys, making his way up to the mafia boss. Pretty standard stuff, but Denzel is, of course, a magnetic screen presence, and director Antoine Fuqua is a solid director and is great when he's paired with Denzel. They made Training Day together, for which won Denzel the Best Actor Oscar. So, a pretty entertaining watch, better than I was expecting, and I can see how they've now made three of those. The third comes out on September 1st. I need to watch the second movie first, and honestly, by the time most of you uh, are hearing this right now, it will have disappeared from Netflix. They're taking it down on August 25th. Hopefully, it'll pop up on another streamer. I watched the first one over on Prime Video, and I'll give it three solid couch cushions out of five. Good stuff. Yeah, I like those Equalizer movies, so I'm looking forward to that. And I one of the movies I watched this week... I watched a lot of movies this week, including one of the biggest films of 2023 so far. It debuted on Prime on August 11th. the cinematic treatment of that music for the Super Mario Bros. movie. It is currently the biggest film of the year with almost $1.358 billion worldwide, although Barbie will soon pass that. At last check, it was at $1.282 billion as of Wednesday, the day that we're recording. So I bet you by the end of the weekend, Barbie will have surpassed, will have passed Mario and the bros on the track. Now, this movie was not the hugest hit with critics at 59% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it does have a 95% audience score. And I would agree with the audience. Video game movies are always tough. When you flip on a video game, you just play it and go with whatever fantastical nonsense you're presented with. But this is a movie, and it needs a coherent story. But how do you tell the story of two Italian plumbers, Mario and Luigi, and get them in from Earth into the Mushroom Kingdom in a way that makes sense? And they figured it out, 
And it was a blast. And they also incorporated Donkey Kong and the Kong universe. And it's just, it was so much fun. Chris Pratt is the voice of Mario. I thought that's weird, but it worked out great. Anya Taylor-Joy is Princess Peach. Charlie Day is Luigi. Keegan-Michael Key is Toad. You'd never know it. They've altered his voice just like they've altered the voice of Jack Black, who is Bowser, and Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. So the great voice cast, the great animation. It's just incredible animation. It's so colorful. I'm really kicking myself for not seeing it on the big screen. Tons of Easter egg references to the games. It was nostalgic and modern and a celebration of a video game icon. And yes, it was fun. Sure, it was kind of silly at times, and it's not going to be the best picture of the year, but I had a good time, so I'll give this one Three and a half couch cushions out of five. Yeah, it's just a fun, and especially if you got like if you for a family movie, I think this is and this would be perfect if you've got young kids because there's a great good chance you played Super Mario when you were younger, and maybe your kids are into Super Mario too. So hopefully, this is something everyone can enjoy. Up next, we have a couple of classics from the '90s, but I got to tell you about another recently new movie that I watched because uh, I can't believe how much I enjoyed it. That's next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I watched a whole bunch of movies this week, some old, some new, and this next one is almost new. I've been meaning to get around to it for a while. It came out in theaters in August 2022 and arrived on Netflix in January, and it's been sitting on my list ever since, and the other day I was flipping through that, thinking, what do I want to watch? Ah, let's finally pull the trigger and have a look at Fall. The B-67 TV tower. I haven't climbed since. Becky, if you don't confront your fears, you are always going to be afraid. <gasps> Let's do it. Let's climb your stupid tower. Oh, I'm so excited. Friends Becky and Hunter like to climb things, and they decide they're going to climb this abandoned communications tower that is 2,000 feet tall. But then... wouldn't have a movie if the ladder didn't break off. So they're 2,000 feet in the air on this tiny platform at the top in the middle of nowhere with no way out. Just watching the trailer for this was pretty incredible, seeing it on, on a big screen. It was likely a vertigo nightmare for a lot of people. But if you need an adrenaline blast, fall sure looked like the ticket, but was it? Signal. The water is down there in that bag. We have 50 feet of rope. I think I could drop myself lower. <sighs> okay, I'm gonna jump onto the bag. Hunter, no! Hunter! So, was it good? As Marv Albert likes to say, yes! It is such a simple and thrilling premise, and it looks astonishingly real considering its $3 million budget, and it was way smarter than I thought it would be. 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, and for a $3 million movie, it did all right. Made $17 million worldwide. Its two lead stars are Grace Carolyn Curry, who plays one of the Shazam heroes, 
Mary. And uh, Virginia Gardner is the other lead. She was in the Halloween reboot in 2018, and they've both been in a few other things. But they're both up-and-coming young stars, and they're both terrific in this film. And yeah, that movie, it, it's great. Like it just It's a simple and electric start to the film and with amazing cinematography. And they're doing some rock climbing. And, and there's a nice reference to Ethan Hunt regarding Mission Impossible 2. And, uh, and then we, we're off and running. Mission Impossible 2, by the way. Like it or not. No, that's the bad one. Every series has the bad one. Yeah. And in the Mission Impossible <clears throat> series, it's number two. Although it starts with the rock climbing thing, which is probably what they're talking about, which yeah. was very cool. For sure. Yeah, that was a great scene. And I think that was maybe the first time where I thought, is Tom Cruise nuts? <laughs> like This is this is crazy stuff that he's doing here. But um, yeah, the, the, it was so emotionally... Uh, it, it hit hard emotionally. There's this incredible scene with Becky and her father, who, by the way, is played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, so that's awesome. And they confront each other in this moment of explosive and confusing grief. And, you know, grief has no timetable. And they sum it up in this two-minute explosive scene. So that was excellent. And uh, just the way that these friends are tied to each other with an extremely unsafe hobby, but a hobby nonetheless, whether it's climbing or golf or billiards, whatever, the ties that hobbies, hobbies bring are powerful. And uh, I, that was really cool to see on display. But things get a little complicated through this movie. And I also, how shockingly real this movie looks. Like what they did with this tower... Obviously, they didn't climb a 2,000-foot tower, but they built a 100-foot tower on top of a cliff. So the way that they were able to shoot it, it and just blend it into this this sort of designed background, it was perfect. I just I can't believe how good it looked, and uh, yeah, it was just awesome. Then the, the they, they had and the way they came together to solve the problem. How are we going to get out of here? It's pretty cool. So the, I thought that this would be a throwaway movie, and I was wrong. I'm going to give Fall it, it, at an hour 45. Somehow still feels a touch too long. 90 minutes would have been perfect, but yeah, I'm going to give Fall four and a half couch cushions out of five. So there wow. you go. Watch that. It's on Netflix. Uh, also, just want to quickly mention this: the classic film that I watched from 1997. Get off my plane! Got to be one of the best lines of the 90s, yeah. if not in all of film. Harrison Ford stars in Air Force One. I don't know if I've seen this movie since 97 or 98. Really? Yeah. I, I think I saw it for the first time during the pandemic. Really? Yeah, but I would say I've watched it five times in the last three years. Oh, wow. I really like it, yeah. Yeah, it's on uh, Netflix. I watched it on Netflix, but it's just so good. You've got Harrison Ford, who I got to watch more of his movies because I, I, I sort of had gotten to this point where I'm like, ah, oh, he's Han Solo, he's Indiana Jones, and that's it. No. But he's so good in everything he does, yeah. and he's such a great physical actor, and the way that he uh, is countered by Gary Oldman, who they could have gotten any actor to play generic Russian bad guy, but they get Gary Oldman, who's one of the greatest character actors of all time. Uh, so it just elevates the movie to 
from silly to excellent. So there you go, Air Force One. The only problem I have with Air Force One, and normally I don't like when directors go back and fix up their movies, like George Lucas monkeying around with his Star Wars, but if they would go back and redo the end of Air Force One, uh, just the CGI of uh, the plane, which awful. looks so, so bad. It's terrible. Like, just laughably bad, yeah. If they would fix that, this movie would be just unassailable. It'd be one of the best movies of all time. There so I watched Air Force One starring one of the biggest movie stars of all time and you watched another movie starring one yeah. of the biggest movie stars of all time. Well, 1999, one of the greatest years of all time for movies, the movie with the most hype going in that wasn't directed by George Lucas, had to be Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. I know what happened last night. And I know what's been going on since then. And I think you just might have the wrong idea about one or two things. That's Sidney Pollack, who has a small part in the movie. More on that in a minute. Of course, the stars of the film are Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And even though he's not in it, Stanley Kubrick looms large as he does in all his movies. And this, in fact, was his final film. He died four days after delivering the finished film to Warner Brothers. I watched Eyes Wide Shut again this week, a podcast I listened to recently released an episode on it. I hadn't seen it in years, so I thought, why not? Let's watch it again. If you've never seen it, it's an erotic thriller, I guess. Cruise and Kidman play a married couple and they talk about sex a lot and then she gets high and tells him about this fantasy she had she didn't act upon it it's just a fantasy she had and he gets super jealous and spends the rest of the movie almost cheating on her the big set piece of the movie comes halfway through of course when he attends a massive orgy at a mansion he's found out and then spends the rest of the movie trying to solve what he believes is a mystery and Sidney Pollock assures him was just a night of fun with a scare thrown into Cruz to keep him from telling anyone about it and that's about it and the orgy is more weird than sexy and the frequently frequent nudity of Nicole Kidman is again not terribly sexy uh, just given the context of the stuff in the film so uh, you know less so in hindsight as well I mean given the implosion of their marriage watching them make out is kind of weird to look at uh, indeed you know they got divorced about a year after the movie came out and we've heard all sorts of weird stories of Kubrick playing mind games with them to get the performances he wanted and it makes you wonder how much of that played into their uh, conscious decoupling but that's the fun of a Stanley Kubrick movie. All the conspiracy theory stuff that comes along with them. The Shining is the best uh, example of that in that department. Eyes Wide Shut had its fair share as well. The main one is that it's all a dream that Cruz's character uh, is going through everything that happens to him. I sort of get it. Some things, some people, you know, some of the things people point to try to prove it kind of makes sense, but I don't really buy it. I mean, all of Stanley Kubrick's movies sort of look like uh, dream states anyways. That's just how he shoots movies. I also like the theory that Kubrick was trolling Cruz and Kidman and purposely tried to destroy them mentally, which is a lot. I can't imagine a person being that vindictive in his position, but whatever. Uh, the truth probably is that it's just a weird movie. And again, I've seen differing reports where Kubrick hated it. He thought it was the, the movie was trash. And then I've seen other reports where he reportedly claimed it was his greatest achievement. So who really knows what he thought about it? It's definitely not his greatest movie. There's a lot of good stuff in there, though. Chief among them, uh, the voice we heard in the clips, uh, the acting of Sidney Pollack, who replaced Harvey Keitel. Uh, he plays this rich society type. He hosts a party thrown in the opening scene. Then he shows up near
near the end to drop some exposition and make Cruz question everything he's seen up until that point. He does some great monologuing there, and he's just one of those guys who commands attention when he's on screen. I would have listened to him read the phone book. I also like him a lot in the movie Michael Clayton. Uh, he just swoops in there a couple of times to steal scenes from George Clooney. And aside from being a good actor, he was also a great director. Sidney Pollock made Three Days at the Condor, Tootsie, The Firm, and the Oscar-winning Out of Africa. And speaking of great directors, Todd Field, who made Tar last year, is in Eyes Wide Shut as well. He plays Cruz's character's old friend Nick Nightingale, the pianist. A small role, but an important one, as he tips Cruz off to uh, the big orgy. But it really is Tom Cruise's movie. He's in every scene, and the movie famously took 400 days to shoot, which was a record, a record that still stands, I believe, for a single film. We were probably deprived of two more Tom Cruise movies in the 90s because this took so long. That's kind of a bummer because uh, Cruise was kind of on fire in the 90s. Kubrick was a perfectionist, so dozens of takes were the norm. I read one thing that said Tom Cruise had to do 90 takes of just opening a door and walking through a doorway. That's uh, probably where some of the conspiracy stuff comes in with Kubrick because he was a known perfectionist and took forever to make movies. You know, every little detail was just nitpicked to death by him. So when there's something weird you see on screen, you know it's absolutely on purpose, but the question always is, why? And only Kubrick knew for sure. What I know for sure is that Eyes Wide Shut still holds up pretty well. It has some spectacular stuff in it, although it is very long. It's uh, 240-ish and pretty slow in a few places, but there's never been anything like it before or since. If you're looking for something a little out there and you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. You can find Eyes Wide Shut on Crave. Nobody killed anybody. Someone died. It happens all the time. But life goes on. It always does, until it doesn't. <laughs> but you know that, don't you? I'll just quickly say this about Eyes Wide Shut. I've seen it one time, and I think I've never gone back to revisit it because my experience going to see it... Bad. We, well, the, we went on the opening weekend, and this was before you could pre-book your seats, so I got there like two hours before the movie because my friends and my girlfriend at the time wanted to see it, but we couldn't all get there early, so right. I took the bullet. But I was just... They they waited until like 10 minutes before the movie started. It was just seething <laughs> with rage by the time the movie started, so I was just sour the whole time. So I actually should check that out again. And up next, a big surprise. I hope it's a surprise for Jeff about something else I watched this week. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes, and I told Jeff I, I needed the last segment of the show because got something else for him here. Intriguing. That uh, I, I hope this is a nice little surprise because one of the other movies I watched this week, and you're gonna you're gonna recognize this instantly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, listen up. We have a fugitive <gasps> that's been on the yes. run for ninety minutes. <laughs> Average foot speed over uneven ground. I played this clip like a month ago. <laughs> That will give you a radius of six miles. Oscar-winning performance right here. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in this area. Checkpoints will go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. Go get him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, The Fugitive. Isn't it good? From 1993. I have not. Uh, this is another movie. No, it hasn't been. Like Air Force One came out in 97, and yeah. I think I saw it in 97, 98, and maybe not again since then. But The Fugitive I've seen since, but I bet you it's been 20 years. Wow. Since I've seen The Fugitive, and I forgot that Tommy Lee Jones won Best Actor in a Supporting Role. I forgot that it was nominated for Best Picture, and I'm a little sad to see that Harrison Ford was not nominated for Best Actor. But what a movie! <laughs> you talk about, isn't it? Like this is one of those movies where if you're, it's my go-to, or or if you you, it, you stumble upon it, there yeah. go two hours of your life. Yeah, absolutely. I would flip through, and if it's there, it's like, okay, well, I'm watching Fugitive until it's over, and that's all there is to it. Now I own it on Blu-ray, so I can sort of watch it whenever I want, which does kind of make it a little bit less interesting. But it's always a good one. Yeah, and it's. It's almost the perfect, like we talked about um, Harrison Ford being cast alongside Gary Oldman, and that was, you knew that was going to be great because Gary Oldman had established himself, but am I wrong in suggesting that Tommy Lee Jones was, he had clearly some work in his career, but I don't think I'd ever heard of him. No, I think he can't, this was really put him on the map. Uh, the director, Andrew Davis, previous to this movie, made a movie called Under Siege, in which Tommy Lee Jones was the bad guy. Oh, yes! So that's so he, the director knew him and liked working with him, obviously, and, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones is the best thing in Under Siege. Story, Steven Seagal, but uh, you got outacted by uh, Tommy Lee, so yeah, that's why he's in it. When you have the, this combination of Harrison Ford as the protagonist, so megastar, awesome actor, and then Tommy Lee Jones as his you want to? He's really his antagonist, but as the movie progresses, he's not. And then you you find yourself sort of rooting for both of them, and not only rooting for Tommy Lee Jones, but his team as well. His team is like a great team. His team is terrific. It's one of the great sort of ensemble casts from this type of a movie. Yeah, the team is great, and the turn that Tommy Lee Jones takes throughout the movie. Um, he doesn't make a big speech. It was like, well, I used to think his, Harrison Ford was a bad guy, but now he's, he just slowly comes to realize that, and they play it like that. It's just it's very well plotted out the way they do all that. Interesting that The Fugitive is at like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and U.S. Marshals, which is the sequel... Never seen it. Yeah, it's at 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Co-star, it stars Wesley Snipes taking place of the protagonist role. Wesley Snipes is great, but he's no Harrison Ford. No, he is not. And uh, I like what Harrison Ford, he's all through that movie, barely even gets to talk to anybody. So that's why you want a guy like Harrison Ford in that role, because he just commands the screen without even saying anything. Did notice a continuity error around one Uh hour, 25 minutes in. The elevator? No, his hair. Oh. His hair was dark, and then it goes back to that sort of mixed salt and pepper. I'm like, whoa, 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 what happened here? He dyed his hair like super dark brown, and now it's back to normal, Harrison Ford? I caught you, Fugitive. That's why he didn't win Best Picture. <laughs> That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. Oh, I watched that on uh, Crave, by the way. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.